Welcome to worship for the second Sunday in Advent. Our call to worship. The Lord is here. God's Spirit is with us. Blessed are you, Lord God of all creation. You created light out of darkness and brought us to the glorious light of day. Through men and women of vision, you reveal your light and presence to us. You offer us the glorious freedom of the children of God. We come to walk in your light and in your love. Blessed are you, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Our prayer of approach this morning takes its pattern from the Advent antiphons, the Advent O's, but is contemporary. Let us pray together. O God, you speak through your prophets, your words bold to us and challenge us and keep us right. Come and tell us the truths we need to know and write them into our hearts and lives. O lover of the little ones, their guardian and defender, come with your angels and cradle your children, and guide their stumbling feet along the homeward roads. O maker of laughter, who plays with Leviathan in the deep waters, come, Stretch out your hands to cuddle and tickle your children through the moments of their days. O pilgrim God, abandoning that which is no longer needed, come with us on our journey. Show us how to travel lightly, keeping only what we need to grow. O God, you love us. Come quickly. We need your help. O wind of God, you blow through the holes in our defences and lay bare our fear. Come, breathe on us gently, as at the beginning, and give us life. Amen. Prophets are not always popular people. Sometimes they have to tell us things about ourselves that we don't want to hear but always they tell us that God loves us. In the Old Testament, prophets told a people born into slavery that God wanted them to be free. Prophets showed a wandering, rootless people that God had prepared a homeland for them. Prophets encouraged a complacent people to leave their present comfort and venture into an unknown future with God. Prophets declare that God loves us, and God is with us. O come, O come, Emmanuel, and ransom captive Israel, who mourns in lonely exile Until the Son of God appear, rejoice, rejoice, 
into the unknown. We are thankful for those men and women of vision who reveal God's presence in our lives, promising us freedom, bringing us hope, reminding us that we do not journey alone because God is with us. first reading this morning is taken from the book of 1st Kings, uh, chapter 19, and reading the first 16 verses. If you're following in a church Bible, we're on page 355 in the Old Testament. King Ahab told his wife Jezebel that everything that Elijah had done, and how he had put all the prophets of Baal to death, she sent a message to Elijah. May the gods strike me dead if by this time tomorrow I don't do the same thing to you that you did to the prophets. Elijah was afraid and fled for his life. He took his servant and went to Beersheba in Judah. Leaving the servant there, Elijah walked a whole day into the wilderness. He stopped and sat down in the shade of a tree and wished he would die. It's too much, Lord, he prayed. Take away my life. I might as well be dead. He lay down under the tree and fell asleep. Suddenly an angel touched him and said, Wake up and eat. He looked round and saw a loaf of bread and a jar of water near his head. He ate and drank and lay down again. The Lord's angel returned and woke him up a second time, saying, Get up and eat, for the journey, or the journey will be too much for you. Elijah got up, ate, and drank, and the food gave him enough strength to walk forty days to Sinai, the holy mountain. There he went into a cave to spend the night. Suddenly the Lord spoke to him, Elijah, what are you doing here? He answered, Lord God Almighty, I have always served you, you alone. But the people of Israel have broken their covenant with you, torn down your altars and killed all your prophets. I am the only one left and they are trying to kill me. Go out and stand before me on top of the mountain, the Lord said to him. Then the Lord passed by and sent a furious wind that split the hills and shattered the rocks. But the Lord was not in the wind. 
the wind stopped blowing, and then there was an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. After the earthquake there was a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire there was the soft whisper of a voice. When Elijah heard it, he covered his face with his cloak and went out and stood at the entrance of the cave. A voice said to him, Elijah, what are you doing here? He answered, Lord God Almighty, I have always served you, you alone, but the people of Israel have broken their covenant with you, torn down your altars and killed all your prophets. I'm the only one left and they're trying to kill me. The Lord said, return to the wilderness near Damascus, then enter the city and anoint Hazael as king of Syria, anoint Jehu son of Nimshi as king of Israel, and anoint Elisha son of Shaphat from Abel-Meholah to succeed you as prophet. The second reading is from the book of Romans in the New Testament, chapter 15. In verses 4 to 13, and it's on page 202 in the Church Bible in the New Testament section. Everything written in the Scriptures was written to teach us in order that we might have hope through the patience and encouragement which the Scriptures give us. And may God, the source of patience and encouragement, enable you to have the same point of view amongst yourselves by following the example of Christ Jesus so that all of you together may praise with one voice the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Accept one another then for the glory of God, as Christ has accepted you. For I tell you that Christ's life of service was on behalf of the Jews, to show that God is faithful, to make his promises to their ancestors come true, and to enable even the Gentiles to praise God for his mercy. As the scripture says, And so I will praise you among the Gentiles. I will sing praises to you. Again it says, Rejoice, Gentiles, with God's people. And again, Praise the Lord, all Gentiles. Praise him, all peoples. And again, Isaiah says, A descendant of Jesse will appear. He will come to rule the Gentiles. And they will put their hope in him. May God, the source of hope, fill you with all joy and peace by means of your faith in him. So that your hope will continue to grow by the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen. I wonder how your Christmas preparations are coming on. How are you getting on with your... Christmas parties. Have they started yet? Well, we're going to start with a little bit of a quiz today, just to kind of get you in the mood for all the parlour games that Christmas brings with it. So what's going to happen is I'm going to tell you the names of some famous people, and I'd be really grateful if you could tell me what discoveries we associate with them, whether they're actually historically perfectly factual or not. Um, These are people who have discoveries associated with them. So, first of all, I'll start with a good Scott. Alexander Fleming. Penicillin is what we associate with Alexander Fleming. Joseph Priestley. 
For those of us who spent time in the north of England, Joyce? <laughs> I heard it at the back there somewhere. Oxygen, yep. Joseph Priestley discovered oxygen. Captain James Cook, allegedly. Vancouver, did he? Oh, I didn't know that one, so there you go. That's not on my list. Okay, discovered Vancouver, apparently. Any other discoveries we associate with Captain James Cook? Australia. Yeah, we generally associate... I mean, whether we did or not is beside the point, but he's associated with that. Humphrey Davy. For those from the Midlands, perhaps? The safety lamp, yep. He also discovered sodium, potassium, and boron. Busy man. (laughs) William Herschel. Uranus? Yes, thank you, Jen. (laughs) He discovered Uranus and also four of its moons, apparently. He was an astronomer. He's an astronomer, I don't know. Marie Curie. Polonium and radium are specifically associated with her. Yep, she was one of the many discoverers of radiation. James Watson and Francis Crick. Yeah. <laughs> so maybe the medics all smiled at that point. They reckon, like, yes, we can do this one. DNA. That's, and that's quite recent, isn't it? That was in the... It was the early 1950s. Okay. <laughs> there we go, you see. You can get the full answer from Jeff, but... Uh, In the 20th century, we discovered the DNA sequence. So, discovering, discoverers, discovery. Discover. To bring into light. To reveal. To uncover. Two things, I think, are worth noting when we think about discoveries. The first one is that whatever it is they find is already there. It already exists. People had been breathing oxygen for thousands and thousands and thousands or millions of years before Joseph Priestley discovered that that's what it was. DNA has been passing on its message of life since the dawn of time. And as the old, rather rubbishy joke puts it, but hey, we are nearly at Christmas cracker joke times, aren't we? The largest island before Australia was discovered was still Australia. You see, even before anybody thought to seek these things, they were already there. And actually, that's true of God. Even before we think to look for God, God is there. But the second thing about these discoveries was they managed to hold together a creative imagination with a willingness to be surprised. You see, each explorer or or scientist or person who discovers something new has first got to imagine that there is something to discover. They've got to have a hunch that if I look, I'll find something. An inkling that if I just try this then perhaps there is something there. But they also have to be open to being surprised by what they do find. It might not be what they were expecting. I was nine years old when I was first told the story about Alexander Fleming's discovery of penicillin. It's quite scary because I can still picture myself in this particular classroom in the desk that I sat in at the back 
of the room because I was deemed to be a good child. And we were read this story about Alexander Fleming, who was a bit of an untidy scientist and allegedly didn't do his washing up before he went off to go on his travels somewhere and his housekeeper didn't wash up for him while he was away because she thought, I'll teach him. And he came back and he found where the mould had grown on the Petri dish. There, the bacteria had died. Now, I suspect that was a rather romanticised version of what happened, designed to tell to nine-year-olds. But it is generally accepted that this was an accidental discovery, that Fleming was doing stuff, and then he just happened to spot this on this Petri dish. And so he discovered something that turned out to be really, really important. So I did a little bit of research this week to find out what other accidental discoveries have been made in relatively recent times. Who likes post-it notes? Anybody use post-it notes? Anybody know how they came to be discovered, made? Somebody was experimenting with kinds of glue, and they made this kind of glue, and it wouldn't set. It just stayed sticky. And they just kind of went away and forgot about it. And time went by, and there was a man in a church who wanted to put markers where the hymns were. So he was ready to turn up the page. And he remembered this glue that wouldn't set. And so the post-it note was born. Not many things are born in church, are they, that uh, they take over the world. But post-it notes, some glue that wouldn't set, and somebody wanting to mark his place in his hymn book. What about Velcro? Anybody know the story behind Velcro? You're nodding? <laughs> Are you going to tell us? <laughs> Put on the spot now. Exactly, yep. Man walking his dog, found that the burrs got stuck to its fur and thought, oh, that's interesting. And we've all got Velcro. I've got Velcro on my wrist support. Probably lots of people have got Velcro on their shoes or on their bags. I think we'd be a bit stuck without it now. What about potato crisps? Who likes potato crisps? Quite a few people. Somebody wanted some fried potatoes that were a little bit thinner than the average. They thought the normal sautéed potatoes were a bit more stodgy than they fancied. Could they do something a bit thinner? So the chef got his grater and he grated some potatoes and he deep fried them. And the rest is history. One last one. Teflon. Who knows how he came by Teflon, the non-stick thing that's on frying pans. Jen. Yep. It certainly was used in, in the space shuttle and in, uh, is used in weaponry. Interestingly, that's not where it came from. I thought that as well. But the research I did this week, apparently it was an experiment in refrigeration that went wrong. Somebody was refrigerating this particular gas under pressure to see if it would be a useful thing to put in fridges. And when they kind of tried to squirt it, nothing happened. So they opened up the cylinder and found this very slippery white powder inside which later went on to be developed and used in the space shuttle. Well, that's what the website said, and it wasn't Wikipedia, so I have to trust it was reasonably honest. But there is something about that willingness to be surprised 
that allows people to discover new things that might turn out to be really important. Well, that's all very entertaining, but what's it got to do with anything? What's it got to do with those readings that we heard a few moments ago? Well, you see, the prophets, like the discoverers, saw something that was already there. It wasn't something that wasn't there. It was just they were the people who noticed it. They realized that God didn't just sit back on some kind of throne and watch what was happening on earth and hand over a script to a few people to say, no, here's something new that I'm going to do now. What they were able to spot was that God had never, ever stopped being active in the history of the universe. But actually, most of the time, nobody really noticed. Throughout history, apples fell off trees. But seemingly, it was Isaac Newton who first put two and two together and thought, hmm, if the apple falls off the tree, something must be causing that. The prophets were a bit like that. They looked around the world and they saw the hints and glimpses of God at work, of God doing something. They believed that God was active. They believed God had something to say to the world they knew. They dared to imagine that that world could be different from the world they experienced. And they tried to catch a glimpse of that possibility. The theologian Walter Brueggemann talks about the prophetic imagination. The imagination that, inspired by God, dares to dream of a different world. A world in which peace and joy and justice and hope find full expression. A world in which the purposes of God can be fully revealed and experienced. What do we do with the prophecies? The short extract we heard from the letter to Romans gives us a very short Christian reflection on the continued value of reading the stories of ancient prophets after Christ has come and yet we still don't quite see the fulfilment of the kingdom. Why were the stories written down? Why do we still read them thousands and thousands of years later? I'd like to suggest we don't do it so we can go, see, that happened, so he was a, he was a real prophet. But actually, they're written down, in the words of the Good News translation, really helpfully, to give us hope in God, who is the source of our patience and encouragement. As we reread these ancient writings, we catch a glimpse, as did the ancients, of what God is about. We can share the dreams and the hopes that sustained them through times of exile or struggle, times when it seemed that evil would defeat good. I think we need to learn to read the prophets afresh. Not in the way that some doomsday preacher saying, oh, look at that over there, there's a sign of the end times. No, 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 that's not what reading the prophets is about. We read them so we can say, do you know what? Sometimes life is difficult. Sometimes the world seems a dark and frightening place. But 
there is still that glimpse that we can catch of God at work, of the kingdom of shalom, of joy, of peace, or the day when those prophecies will find the ultimate fulfillment and the glory of God will fill the earth as the waters cover the sea. I think it's Revelation that says that, but I always remember it in the hymn version. We read the prophets to give us hope and encouragement to go on working for peace in a world that is often violent and frightening. The Old Testament prophets often had difficult lives. Their outspokenness would draw criticism and rejection. And sometimes, like Elijah, they literally feared for their lives. They thought they would be killed for what they said. The account of Elijah's depression and fearful fleeing is probably one we've heard many times. He couldn't cope anymore. It was all too much. And he just ran away and he wanted to die. Alone and demoralized, he fell asleep under a tree, having prayed that he would die. I'm not quite sure how he first felt when he woke up. But when he woke up, there was food. And then he rested. More food and more rest. And then, of course, that encounter that we know so well with God on the mountainside. He stands on the mountain waiting for God to go by. And there's a furious wind. And there's an earthquake. And there's a fire. And then the still, small voice. Or the quiet whisper or the sound of sheer silence in which God's voice is mysteriously heard. You see, all along, through all the storms of his life, God had still been there with Elijah. Elijah was so caught up in what was going on for him that he couldn't quite still see that God was there. I wonder if that story can give us fresh hope in God. God who could be the source of our own patience, our own encouragement. I wonder if there are aspects of Elijah's story that ring true for you just now. Are you tired? Are you demoralised? Are you depressed? Do you feel like everybody's out to get you? Perhaps everybody is out to get you. Do you feel like giving up? Where are the places where in that sound of silence, in that quiet whisper, you catch the glimpse of God afresh? And even if you don't feel like Elijah, even if life is generally okay, what are the new discoveries that you can make about God about yourself or about the world in this Advent season. As we did last week, we're going to take a short time of silence now to ponder this mystery of discovery and to think who the discoverers are or their discoveries that have been important in our own lives for the good. It might be, for example, advances in medical treatment, 
It might be insights from philosophy. It might be those eureka moments when something suddenly made sense for you about life or about faith or something else. It might be you want to remember people who've helped you to make your own discoveries or people whose discoveries you are really grateful for. Hopefully you've got a little decoration, but if you haven't, I have some spares. And you are invited to write, draw or symbolise, if you so wish, those discoverers or discoveries you would like to thank God for. And if you're able then to go and stick it on the picture at the back, and you might discover something nice over there that you can swap your picture for. If you'd like to do that and you're not able to move, then I'm sure somebody else will do that for you. So music will play whilst that goes on, and then we will share in the litany for Advent 2, which, again, hopefully you have copies of. So we'll just have some music and a short time of quiet reflection on discoverers and discoveries we want to thank God for. God of Advent, dispel the darkness of night, awaken us to your glory, destroy our heaviness of heart, awaken us to your glory, cure the blindness of our sight, awaken us to your glory, heal the deafness of our ears, awaken us to your glory, open the mouth that is dumb, Awaken us to your glory. Restore a gentleness of touch. Awaken us to your glory. Encourage in us a sense of adventure. Awaken us to your glory. Bring us an awareness of you. Awaken us to your glory. Look at the candle and know that Christ gives you peace. He comes to all who feel they are stuck in the wilderness. He comes to the fearful for whom the future is threatening. He comes to those who are being overwhelmed and to encourage wavering hearts. He comes to give us courage to fill us with confidence. Our God is with us, Emmanuel. In troubled minds and troubled hearts, Lord, grant us peace. When we worry about gifts to buy and cards to write, Lord, grant us peace. When we worry about food to cook or space in the freezer, Lord, grant us peace. When we worry about rising prices and economic meltdown, Lord, grant us peace. When we worry about a world marred by violence and injustice, Lord, grant us peace. 
Let me give you I'll give our thoughts to you in prayer. Lord, when we discover you in unexpected places, unexpected people. Lord, grant us peace. Let's come to God with our prayer for other people. Let's pray together. Invisible God, inspiring God, surprising God, we bring you our prayers for the world in which your quiet activity continually creates, redeems, and sustains. We pray for those who give their lives to the work of medical research, seeking to understand more fully the complexities of life and to discover more effective means of treating or managing diseases and conditions. We pray for those who spend themselves in seeking to understand more fully the mysteries of our planet and to discover how the delicate balance of the ecosystems that sustain life may best be preserved. We pray for those whose energies are devoted to thinking deeply in areas of philosophy, ethics or politics, seeking to discover new insights into how human society functions and to shape that for the common good. We pray for those who employ their time in enabling others to make their own discoveries, for teachers and lecturers, for parents and carers, each balancing the sharing of their existing knowledge with teaching a new generation how to discover things for themselves. We pray for those whose work is in developing resources to aid us in our own spiritual quest. For those who write Bible study notes, those who lead retreats, those who plan and deliver acts of worship, seeking to guide us into new discoveries of the mystery of faith. We pray for ourselves each with limited time and resources, each with unique gifts and skills, insights and passions. Help us to keep making new discoveries of what it means to walk with Christ, to be part of the body of Christ in this place. On this second Sunday of Advent, when we are reminded that Christ is the Prince of Peace, we pray for a peace where world for a world where peace is in short supply. We remember before you now especially those who are living in lands torn apart by violence or corruption. Those who live with the consequences of HIV AIDS. Those who live in poverty and physical and practical need. those who live in the darkness of depression, those who live in fear, whether physical, emotional, psychological 
or spiritual. Help each of us to discover the part we can play in bringing peace, in being announcers of good news, this Advent season and for all time. Amen. Deep peace of the running wave to you. Deep peace of the flowing air to you. Deep peace of the quiet earth to you. Deep peace of the shining stars to you. Deep peace of the Prince of Peace to you, today and always.